Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 25. I do always love praying the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version because it always reminds me as a kid, um, growing up in Apex, you got these real country men that would, you know, come up to collect the offering. And the church I grew up in, the tradition was that the uh, whoever was collecting the offering would be the one who offers the offertory prayer. And so these real country men would get up there and then all of a sudden they speak Shakespearean as they pray to God and the these and the thous. <laughs> For those who don't follow the NBA, there's this character uh, that's been off the court for the last two years. His name is LeVar Ball, and he is the father of the Lakers point guard Lonzo Ball, as well as LaMelo and LiAngelo. And uh, so what do you need to know about LeVar Ball is this. The dude cannot stop running his mouth. He's constantly talking trash wherever he goes. Just this last June, he was talking trash about LeBron James' children, and LeBron James basically said, keep my children's names out of your mouth. <laughs> he's always promoting himself. He's always promoting his kids. In fact, he was so brash enough that when his son was uh, arrested in China for stealing uh, purses, he withdrew his son from UCLA, took his, son out of, uh, his other son out of high school, and now put them in the Latvian Basketball League because that's the best way to prepare them for their future in the NBA. In May of uh, 2017, LeVar revealed uh, what, is, what he described as going to be the next greatest shoe. It's the Z02. Let's take a look at this. Ugly. <laughs> and the reason he released this shoe in his own brand is because Adidas and Nike and Under Armour wanted nothing to do with him and his sons. LeVar Ball predicted that he would have a bigger shoe, the biggest shoe that's ever been a part of the industry. He makes a lot of predictions, and for the most part, they don't even come true. You know, there's another person in history who made a lot of brash claims about himself. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. There's been no bolder person in history who has made claims about himself. And Jesus' claims about himself landed him in a one-way ticket to the cross. Ten out of his twelve disciples were martyred the world's largest religion. In John's Gospel, as we started last week, Jesus makes eight bold claims about himself. Scholars call these the I am statements of Jesus. And these statements give us a glimpse into who Jesus claimed to be and who Jesus' followers are as a result of these claims. And through this series, we are examining these statements, we're discovering their deep theological meaning, and we're considering how they affect our lives. Again, Jesus' words either affect us or they don't affect us. We either take them serious or we don't. So context matters. What's going on in John chapter 6? Uh, the context for today's scripture is not some segmented story. It's interconnected within the narrative of John. Early on in John 6, Jesus performs a miracle. Uh, he teaches a large crowd of people and 
and the, a number is given. 5,000 he fed in this great miracle. Though that's most likely just counting the men in the group. So it could have been anywhere between five to 20,000 people if you counted the women and children that were present that day. And Jesus had been teaching a long time. He had been teaching so long that people started getting hangry. And yes, there is a difference between hungry and hangry. Hungry is you're just hungry. Hangry is you're, you're hungry and you're really irritated. And, and we learn from the Gospels that the group is getting restless. People are hungry, but they're living on every word that Jesus has to say. And so the disciples find a little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus begins to break it up and to feed these people. And the miracle is that there was so much food left over, they filled 12 baskets. And then Jesus sends the disciples out into a boat. There's this amazing story where Jesus uh, comes out to them on the water. It's this great miracle. People start to put together that, wait, Jesus wasn't in the boat, but now he's in the boat with the people. And that's where we pick up here in verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked, What sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I love when scripture is layered. Last week we picked up on the imagery of Jesus saying before this group of religious leaders uh, that before Abraham was, I am. We, we learned that this is in reference to the story where Moses is standing before this great bush that's burning and it's not burning up. And he asks, who should I say is sending me before Pharaoh? And God replies, I am who I am. But the text today is also layered within that story of Moses. See, under the leadership of Moses, the people are freed from Israel. They're, they're heading off into the desert. We, we learn that the people come to the Red Sea. And while they're trying to figure out how to get across, the Egyptian army is bearing down on them. God uses Moses to separate the waters. The people cross on dry ground. This great miracle is performed. And yet we don't even get to the next few chapters before Israel is complaining again. You see, they went off into the wilderness and they didn't have enough food. And so they're bellyaching, where would God provide for us? And we learn that God hears their cry and God promises Moses that every morning bread would come down from heaven. The people called this manna. Now you're probably wondering, what is that? Well, that's what manna means. What is this? That is the literal translation of the word manna. What is this? And each day God did this. Each day God gave the people bread. Except on the day before the Sabbath. They were to collect enough food for that day and the next day. God gave them bread from heaven. You see, Jesus had this crowd who had just received this miraculous bread. They saw Jesus break up five loaves of bread and feed thousands of people. And like their forebears, they wanted more of what Jesus had to offer. Wouldn't you? And in the words of Bonnie Tyler, I need a miracle. I'm holding out for a miracle till the end of the night. Okay, that's maybe not the song, but you get the point. 
People wanted another miracle. They're holding out for something else. They're asking Jesus for something more. You see, when you experience a miracle in your life, it's easy to believe. It's easy to hold on to because it's something tangible. When you experience a miracle, it's tangible evidence of the divine, so you only want more. Yet Jesus is calling them to see something different. He's not interested in food that spoils, as he said in verse 26. He's calling them to look deeper, beyond what seems so physical, and experience in their bellies, beyond fish and bread. In verse 29, he calls them to believe. But the people like their forebearers, want to continue to experience manna. They want bread from heaven. They want something tangibly they can feel. They want something tangibly that goes inside their bodies. They want the evidence that God is present with them. How often do we hold out for a miracle in our lives? How often do we stand with our eyes open and our hands out waiting for God to give us something that we can feel and touch? How often do we experience one miracle and are at an express checkout line waiting for that next miracle to happen? But Jesus takes this a different direction than the people anticipate. He says in verse 32, Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who had given you bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives you light, gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. I love that translation. Always. Yeah, keep it coming. Always give us that thing you're talking about. And Jesus says in verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But, I, but as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up as the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. I do not eat a lot of bread, mainly because um, I love it, and I would eat it all the time. Um, this is generally the look a waiter gives me when they come to bring the free bread the fourth time I'm asking them. It's just that look of like, really? Typically, we want to give you like one or two. You're asking for the third and fourth. You can go to Macaroni Grill where they bring out that huge loaf of bread, and it's like, we'll take our fifth one, thanks, yes. So anytime there's olive oil with a little salt in it and dip that in there, my goodness, that is just amazing. I was in the bakery section uh, recently in a store, and it was like putting um, blood in the water with sharks around. It was just like so much bread, and I didn't know where to begin with all of it. And then they have those free samples everywhere. But just think of all the different types of bread there is. There's dozens of types of bread, from baguettes to sourdough, from rich, uh, French bread, bagels to rye bread, toasting bread to whole grain, sandwich bread to hoagies. Bread in all its various forms is the most widely consumed food in the world. Not only is it an important source of carbohydrates, it's also portable and compactable, uh, which helps explain why it's an integral part of, of our diet for thousands of years. In fact, scholars have recently suggested that humans started baking bread 30,000 years ago. The 
earliest experts believe that it was actually uh, pretzel bread. That was the first bread. I'm just kidding. <laughs> In 2010, there was a study the National Academic of Sciences discovered traces of starch. It was likely a root of cattail and ferns. And prehistoric, uh, they, they, they ground it down and, and mixed it together and, and made this primitive source of bread. And then there is the Jesus loaf. And our modern day question is, does it come in gluten-free? Is that, is that an option? Jesus isn't doing anything radical here. Moses is a pillar of these people's faith. The people know that God gave them bread. But Jesus is calling them to see that, that God isn't just the source of bread we need for our stomachs. God is the source of bread we need for life. The word used here, we translate everlasting life. The literal translation of it is life to the full. Jesus is not talking about some distant, far-off place that we only experience when we die. Jesus is saying that God wants to give you the bread of life, everlasting life, now. Life to the full, now. And in the life to come. See, God desires to give us full and vibrant and real life. And I love the people's response as I said, Sir, can we always have this bread? This is... My response when I see bread ready to be dipped in butter or oil, I, I want that bread constantly. And Jesus has them at his every word. And he sets them up so perfectly to say to them, I am the bread of life. The metaphor here is clear. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus is manna. Jesus is from God. Except Jesus isn't here just to feed you physically. Jesus is here to feed your life. True life. Vibrant life. And life in the age to come. It doesn't spoil. It doesn't mold. It doesn't stale. Jesus' bread helps us never to be hungry. Never to be thirsty. You see, what Jesus is doing is two main things here. He's saying, number one, you can't ask for bread on demand. <laughs> and the second thing is, Jesus is inviting them into a journey. N.T. Wright puts it this way, The bread and fish that Jesus has distributed to the crowds where they led their eye, their mind, and their heart to the true gift of God has for all people then and there. They were there to open their understanding to the fact that this new exodus was taking place right in front of them and that Jesus was leading them to it. You see, Jesus' proclamation, I am the bread of life, it is an invitation. It's an invitation to believe. And the people's response in verse 28 is, what do we have to do that God requires of us? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who sent him. You see, Jesus is inviting the people to believe that he was sent from God, to believe that he is the manna from heaven, to believe that he is all that we need to be satisfied in this world. Are we willing to consume that type of bread? But it gets a little complicated in verse 41 and says this, At this the Jews began to grumble about him because they said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? In 2010, Dunkin' Donuts had a PR nightmare on their hands when they were advertising that customers could get a free iced coffee day. And the day came and customers rushed the store only to find out that it was actually only in specific locations in specific states. And people were ticked off. <laughs> 
In the early 1980s, Coke was losing ground to Pepsi in the infamous uh, Pepsi Challenge ads were responsible for this Pepsi surge. And so in response, uh, Coca-Cola thought they would develop an, a new product that would taste just like Pepsi. And it completely flopped. But it actually became a, a powerful slogan because that's when they changed their name to Coca-Cola Classic. If you're ever in a day where you need uh, more vegetables in your life, you could go back to the 1960s when Jell-O introduced the gelatin salad, which tasted like celery or mixed vegetables or seasoned tomatoes. You know, the only time I eat Jell-O is like if you're at a Chinese like buffet and you're like, let me just have one little thing. You're like, oh, okay, that's why I don't eat Jell-O anymore because it tastes absolutely disgusting. Small amounts of cheer, uh, jello are good, but not in large amounts and definitely not tasting like vegetables. These are product flops. Jesus' words to the people is completely flopping here. Jesus is speaking to them about the bread of life. He's offering to be the manna from heaven. And then they were like, wait a second. That's Mary and Joseph's boy. How can he say he, he's coming down from heaven? The people don't get it. The people aren't buying into Jesus' message. They're not buying in what it is he has to offer they want what Jesus has to offer, but they can't believe it comes from him. So the question is, if Jesus is offering the bread of life, then what are we seeking? We often want what Jesus has to offer, but we are not willing to step out in faith to see what it will require of us. We're never satisfied with what we are have to offer. Think about it. Companies spend billions of dollars a year on customer service. There are websites completely dedicated to throwing companies under the bus. In my travels, I have, I've never once flown and never heard somebody complain about something that's wrong with the flight. We're never happy. Our lattes are never made right. The food took too long to get here. The service is slow. I had to wait forever. The shipping was a day late. This was overpriced. Stop and think about that. We demand so much and are never happy. And if we're honest, we're just like the Israelites. We're there. The bread of life is standing before them and they're not satisfied. Back to this manna story that we read from Exodus. The people were hungry. God gave them this blessing of bread from heaven. But it only took a couple more chapters for them to complain again about what God was not providing for them. This time, they were thirsty. They wanted to go back to slavery. They were that thirsty and not willing to complain. And at this point, Moses is ready to do whatever it takes because it says he believed the people were going to kill him and elect a new leader. So God instructs Moses to strike a rock and water came flowing out. And give it another chapter and the people aren't satisfied again. You see, the reality is that Jesus is offering us the bread of life and we truly say we desire it, but then we consume something completely different. And if Jesus is offering us the bread of life and we consume something else, what the other thing we are consuming is this. It's the bread of death. And I know that sounds so harsh, and I know that doesn't sound like a positive message for us to hear today, but if that is what Jesus is offering us, and that is not what we are consuming, then we have to be consuming the opposite of what Jesus is offering us, and that is death. Think about all that we consume in our life. If we're honest, most American Christians, we have theological issues with what Jesus has to teach us on possessions and stuff, about time and about money. Jesus tells us that directly the correlation of what is in our heart is where our treasure is. And think about all that we consume in our life. 
the things that take up our time. All the ways the teachings of Jesus clash up against our life and how often we pick these other things. We say we want the bread of life, but how often we consume the bread of death. And we're never satisfied. Notice we always have to consume more and more and more because it will never satisfy our soul. As one author put it, the world is not ready to change its diet even if their diet only makes them sick. If Jesus is the bread of life, which is for the ultimate needs of humanity, then why does it leave us so hungry? Or why is it so difficult to take a bite? You see, the bread of death is beautiful and enticing thing. It promises so much satisfaction, so much gratification, so much fulfillment, the allure of more, but notice it only takes more and more and more. More of our time, more of our effort, more of our money, more of our resources, more and more and more. What did Jesus say in the gospel? What profits you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And then it says this in verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up in the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will never will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Skip down to verse 66. It says this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. If you're trying to register what this is on the creepy scale of 1 to 10, Jesus just hit like 100. <laughs> okay? You can imagine the crowd sitting here. They're, they're confused on Jesus' message. And then he says, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no part of me. This is a weird message from Jesus. If we're honest, it's really creepy. What is he talking about? And in fact, it scared the crowd so much that John tells us what? Many left him that day and never followed him again. Some scholars have argued that Jesus is intentionally tramping on the Hebrew tradition of never consuming the blood of the animal. It was believed that if you consumed the blood of the animal, you are consuming the life of the animal, the soul of the animal. Therefore, when a sacrifice was offered at the temple, the blood was drained from the body and burned to the side along with the fat. You wouldn't consume the flesh and blood of an animal. So why would Jesus invite us to consume his flesh, to consume his blood? And Jesus, in this moment... Scares enough of the crowd where they walk away from him. They want nothing to do with him. This reminds me of, of another story in the Hebrew Bible involving the prophet Elijah. You see, Elijah had been in hiding because Jezebel, the queen, had been hunting down God's priests and prophets, systematically having them killed. Yet God calls Elijah out of hiding and before Jezebel and before King Ahab. 
It's this amazing showdown where Elijah is literally fighting for the heart and soul of the Hebrew people who had been divided between worshiping God and worshiping Baal and Asherah. And there's this amazing showdown that happens on Mount Carmel where uh, the, the priests and prophets of Asherah and Baal call down fire from heaven to burn up a sacrifice that never shows up. But Elijah, uh, you remember the story correctly, drowns the sacrifice in all sorts of water, calls down fire from heaven, and God consumes all of it. But that's not the end of the story. It says that Elijah then goes on the run. And he goes and he hides. And there in hiding, Elijah calls out to God and cries out to God that he is ready to die. He doesn't want to live anymore. He's literally begging God to kill him. And as Elijah falls down to the ground and falls asleep, God does a curious thing. God sends an angel to bring Elijah bread and water. He wakes him up, he eats, and he sleeps. Again, God sends an angel to bring him bread and water. Elijah wakes up. He eats and he's refreshed by God to carry on the mission of God. See, this text is so weird. These statements from Jesus are so awkward. But what we see from Jesus is that Jesus is inviting us into something simple. Jesus is inviting us into something that is simply complex. The invitation of Jesus is quite simple. It is quite clear. But it is a complex life he's inviting us into. To hear somebody say, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you can have no part of me. See, Jesus is inviting us to commit our whole self to God. To not commit the self that comes here on Sunday mornings or community groups or whenever it's convenient to us. Jesus is inviting his teaching, his way, his miracle into our lives. It is a call for a radical transformation for who we are and what we have become accustomed to. Jesus is inviting us to change our way of thinking and living. The, the invitation of Jesus is to be one of his disciples. The Greek word is akulutheo. It means to follow, to become the same as. Jesus is inviting us into changing the way we live our lives. The way that we see this world. The way that we view other people. The way that we treat other people. The way that we use our time, the way that we use our resources, Jesus is calling us to change all of ourselves to become more like Him. That's what it means to consume the bread of life. It's not to take a sample and to eat it when it's convenient to us. Jesus is inviting to immerse our full self into Him. To consume only the bread he has to offer. The way that his teachings shape our life. To leave the bread of death behind. And to consume only what would give us life. True life. Life to the full. Or as one author put it. You are not the baker nor the distributor. You are just another hungry pilgrim, pilgrim on the hillside or in the wilderness. Want a slice of Jesus? Let's pray.